So one quick um, housekeeping thing, um, in case you're sitting there wondering, um, the women's restroom is around this curtain on that side, and the men's restroom is around this curtain on that side. So um, in case you've never been in here and you're wondering where stuff is at, um, thought I'd just let you know about that. Um, if you have your Bible, you want to go to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 is where we will be today. How many of you um, have watered your grass this week? Anybody? Anybody watered your grass this week? It's only been like 117 outside. Um, here's uh, here's what, uh, what I'm realizing. Um, where you don't water, things don't really tend to grow. In fact, eventually they will... They will die, especially under extreme intensity, especially under extreme heat. Um, so immediately next to me, my neighbor, uh, he, I think he's retired, um, and he spends so much time working on his yard. To the point where this week, I watched him on numerous occasions put his sprinkler out and spend enormous amounts of time just watching his water saturate his soil. And he'd kind of step back on this, you know, kind of walk around and then he'd move it over here and he'd just kind of watch and I'd come out and wave and we'd talk and, and here, here's what I tell myself all the time. When I'm old, I will have a nice yard. When my kids are old, I will have a nice yard. For now, we'll just do the best we can. Um, and it suffers. Because where you don't water, things don't grow. And so part of why we're here today and part of um, even gathering on a Sunday morning is that we would allow the truth of God's Word to saturate our souls and, and bring growth in our lives. Because where you don't water, things don't grow. And, and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to be talking pr- predominantly um, to singles, to single people in the room, um, and here's, here's what I want you to realize is that um, I think most of the way we frame life, and maybe it's just my perspective because I'm married, but I think there's a lot of the way that we frame life that it's predominantly geared towards relationships, towards married life with kids, um, and so much of even the way we talk around here, I think, is uh, kind of leaves uh, singles to the side. Um, and I think culture can do that as well. And so um, for those of you that aren't single, a lot of what we're going to talk through this morning, I think, can be, is going to be a great gift to you to realize, one, the gifts in your life, but two, uh, the opportunities you have to see people who God hasn't maybe called to be in a relationship or be married and um, how you can surround them and encourage them and lift them up and, re- and realize that we're the body of Christ, married, unmarried, male, female, with kids, no kids, broken relationships, uh, healthy relationships. We're the body of Christ coming together, trying to navigate the grace and forgiveness of God. Um, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, we'll start at verse 25. It says this, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. 
I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Um, so lots of craziness going on in Corinth. Um, just a very sexually perverse culture. Um, and Paul comes out and he's like, here's the deal. The grass isn't greener on the other side. He's, he's trying to draw their attention and he's trying to help us realize the lie that we believe that the current situation that we're in, oftentimes we want to see past that to a situation that maybe we would say, that's better. If only I had that, if only I had him, if only I had her, if only my situation was different, then I'd be okay. The grass is greener over there. And I think out the gate, what he's setting this foundation for is that no, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Is that the the call and oftentimes the best solution for our lives is faithful. Faithful where we're at. Faithful to the current situation. Faithful to what he's called us to. Which could change in five years. But for now, he's saying, stay as you are. Remain as you are. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing in on me. Keep trusting me. Don't believe the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. He continues in verse 28, but if you do marry... You have not sinned. And if a betrothed marry, woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you of that. Um, so he's like, there's an immense gift. Um, the gift of marriage is incredible. But it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's not. Marriage is not all it's cracked up to be. And I, st- I stand up here as a happily married man. And I say, marriage is not all it's cracked up to be. The way the world frames this happily ever after life. This, this is where you'll be happy. This is where your pleasure will be. Paul's like, I, I wish there was a way that we could get married and not have struggles. It's not possible. It's not possible. I would spare you that Last week we talked about several of the struggles, simply trying to figure out what marriage is and isn't, the pain of divorce, sex and intimacy, a profound gift, but incredibly complex and incredibly difficult and challenging. It's not the way the movies put it, right? Married people in the room, unmarried people in the room, it's not the way the movies put it. There's challenges. The happily ever after life isn't real. And I think, okay, most of, most of you would look at me and be like, yeah, to- we totally agree with that statement. It's a fairy tale, the happily ever after. But we can continue to believe the narrative and the lie of that. That if only, if only then we'd walk the beach in joy and celebration. And ah, it would be wonderful. But marriage isn't all it's cracked up to be. The culture tries to get us to see these lies. Even the church tries to get us to see these lies. Even when we look at Scripture, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And Paul's saying, I want to I spare you the pain of that. I want to spare you the challenges of that. And here's how he puts it in verse 29. He goes in to talk about how 
Relationships can be very distracting. Look at 29. And this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Here's what he's saying. He's saying we get so bogged down by this happily ever after view of life that we forget of the temporary nature of the present reality. That's what he says at the end. The present form of this world is passing away. We build these empires. We, we pile this stuff on our lives. Look at this passage. In, this is Matthew 24. I think it'll be up on the screen. Matthew 24. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. We don't realize that we, we can be sucked into the lure of these happy, cush, easy, wanting life to be this perfect scenario and not realize that that's what they were doing in the days of Noah. And in an instant, everything changed. Everything changed. It's like what Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Temporary, non-eternal. Don't do it. I want you to imagine this for a second. Imagine if you, um, if you bought a house with your, uh, with your roommate. And... Uh, you like signed a contract and in the midst of that you guys move in you start fixing it up painting making it look amazing um you go through uh all the house and you pick out decorations and a couch and you know you just do the landscaping do the yard do all of this stuff and you settle in you're like yes like isn't this amazing isn't this awesome like look at the space we've created six months in the doorbell rings your roommate goes to answer the door. And uh, in the midst of that, uh, the person knocks on the door, uh, they open the door, and, uh, hi, um, we're here with the wrecking crew. Um, it's, it's been six months, and when you signed off, you, we, we told you that we would be having to take your house um, and destroy it uh, at six months. And, and you're like, what? And then you, like, go back to your roommate, and, and she's like, Oh, is it six months? I didn't tell you about it. It can't already be six months. Like, oh, crap. And they're like, you, you got to get out today because we're taking it down. We're tearing it down. Like, well, one, you probably would you'd lose your friend um, because you didn't, you failed to communicate on that point. Um, but the reality is, is that w- we, we wouldn't do that, right? Like, one, you'd never, like, probably move into that house in the first place, and you'd, you wouldn't really begin setting it up and doing all of this stuff that has no lasting impact that's then going to be destroyed. It's going to come to an end. And here, here's what I think 
I want us to see is that for those that God calls to the life of singleness, I think in a lot of ways it's God's way to safeguard the mission of selfless living. Now, I want to I explain this because it might seem twisted. It's God's way to safeguard the mission of selfless living. Because what we can tend to do is believe that if I only get him, if I only get her, then I got it. Then I can move forward. Then I, I can be happy. And what God wants to do, I think, is strip away some of those things to help you begin to realize that he's the one who will satisfy you. He's the one who will bring you joy. He's the one who will give you all that you need. And in a world that's so relationship dependent, God gives the gift of singleness to some to help you safeguard this. I want to I I be with him. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to build all, all this stuff in my life that then begins to distract from the single-minded focus of who I'm called to be as a child of God because the form of this world is passing away. Look at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. The Lord how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Here's the truth, is that singleness gives you the opportunity for single focus. That's a gift. The opportunity for single focus. Paul begins verse 32 by saying, I want you to be free from anxiety. Okay, I thought there's no better way to uh, illustrate the single life than with a married illustration. Sorry, here we go. Um, So, um, one of the most anxious things that that, uh, my wife and I can do in our lives is uh, go out to eat. We love going out to like nice restaurants. Like when my when my family's like, "Hey, let's go out for Mother's Day. I got an idea. Let's go to Maggiano's," and we're like, "Yeah, it's a great idea." Um, you know, we'll get all the kids and all the cousins, and we'll sit at a table, and we'll like, got to dress nice, and they got the nice little napkins, and um, and you got to sit there forever. Because there's so many people in that restaurant and it takes them a long time to cook amazing food and then there's like rolls and appetizers and, and you know, like 20 minutes in, the kids are like, can I have a phone? Can, you know, like, I, you know, I'm bold. Like, can I go to the bathroom? Oh, what's this over here? Oh, oh, that's the bar. Like, let's come back over here. Like, and we're like, sit down. Like, yeah, you can have a phone. Hey, can we borrow your phone? This kid needs a phone too. Like, it's like, you're trying to like, please everybody. All the while you're trying to have adult conversation. Like, it's can we just go to Chick-fil-A, please? They can eat after we eat. We can see them through the glass and we will have an incredible time. We'll even feed them at home. Okay? Paul's like, I want to spare you from that. It's a gift. I want to free you from anxiety. The reality of, of being single is simplicity. 
single focus, the ability to understand your gifting, your calling, the, the heart that God's put in you, and execute that under His provision and gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It allows for lots and lots of energy and focus. Have you ever had a breaker blow in your house? Right? So, anytime we like run a bunch of stuff in our backyard, um, we like tend to blow a breaker because like there's like not only all this like outside powered takes a whole lot of amperage, but there's like, you know, the hair dryers connected in the bathroom, because that makes sense. The garage doors connected, because those two go together for some reason. And when you pour a whole bunch of energy into one circuit, it ends up tripping it. So what do you do? You got to separate them. You got to separate them out. We'll run one over here, and one over here, and one over here, and one over here. And it's complex. And that complexity is what enables all of those things to function as they're intended. And Paul's like, singleness? It's a call to simplicity. It's a call to, to, to simplified mission of God where there's single focus. And there can be an immense amount of Excellence, because here's the thing is that as people, and we talked about this earlier on in our series, Beauty or Beast, is that we can be prone to idolatry. We can be prone to drifting away from what Paul said at the end of that passage in verse 35 to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And he's like, I, I want to I wanna secure that. And part of this, the worldly things that Paul's trying to rescue us from, is this road that leads to idolatry. You know, he's like, he, he draws this tension, which is like between pleasing the Lord and pleasing your spouse. You're like, isn't pleasing your spouse pleasing the Lord? Well, sometimes, but sometimes it's not. You, you see the, the tension there, the distraction there? And to get to singleness is a call to hone in on a one, one heart relationship towards the Lord. We can be bound in relationships by people's opinion. We can be bound by their wants and desires where we're overwhelmed by how do I please my wife? How do I please my husband? How do I please my boyfriend? Paul says, the call to singleness is a call to the opportunity to strip those things away and see the simplicity of a life lived in devotion to the Lord. What happens when your spouse's desires are contrary to, your, to the Lord's desires, or you think they are? Like, what do you do? It's a dilemma, right? It's a challenge. You've got to walk through that. You've got to figure that out. It's not easy. I want you to think of it this way. Um... You have a job description in this world. And I think we can forget the job description that we have um, summed up in this word, stewardship. What's a steward? Job of a steward is to manage or take care of the possessions of another, right? Okay, the problem comes in when we try to move from being a steward to being an owner. Owners have right. Owners have say. Owners are in charge. Owners are in charge. 
Stewards follow the desires and the wishes of the owner, right? And as people of God, what we realize is that we're stewards. We want to be owners. Man, we want to be owners. We want to be in charge. We want to have say. We want to be God. But the truth is that we're stewards. And a life of singleness allows us... Like, think about it this way. Um, relationships are complex, right? Marriages are complex. And there's a level to that complexity where you begin managing and dealing on a very intimate level the sin of others. The dysfunction of others, navigating those things, confessing those things in relationships that are close. And I think it's, I think it's similar to the call of being in community, bearing one another's burdens, working through sin together. But I think that the call in marriage is a whole, it's a whole lot, there's a whole other depth there in those relationships. And singleness, the single focus mind tract allows to, to strip away the, the stewarding of the sin management of another and allows us to think about, okay, how can I give and serve of my life the way God's designed me to? I want you to think about it a different way. Um, how many of you have a will? Okay, what, what's, what's a will? It's a legal document that sets the stage for here's what will happen in my life in the event that I can no longer make decisions for myself, whether that's through some health issues or death, right? Well, if you have a will, you also have what's called an executor of the will, right? This is the person that has a lot of power because they're the one who execute on your wishes. So in your will, you're like, you know, if I am get to the point where I am brain dead or I have a medical condition where machines are keeping me alive, then I want you to, you know, unplug those machines or, you know, and all those those sensitivity around all that stuff. I'm not trying to make a statement about that as much as I'm saying is there's the executor of the will says, here's your wishes medically, um, financially, uh, like what to do with your estate and your property and your money. And the executor of the will is the one who executes on those things after the point which you can no longer do that. Now, here's who we are. It's another way to put it from stewards, is we're, we're executors of the will. Okay? Where God set out, here's, here's the life I've called you to. Here's my design. Here's my purpose. Now, execute on that. Implement that. Under the influence of my spirit, Walk out that. Now, I believe God gives us a will. I believe he gives us wants and desires. Absolutely. But it's all within a framework of design. It's all within a framework of here's God's design. And part of what this looks like is us learning to submit to the sovereign ways of God in what his will is. Because can an executor then come and change the will? No. No, it's a legal document. 
right now, we can come and try to change God's will, right? But the reality is, is that we're executors, we're, we're stewards, we're, we're following this life, you're following this life of singleness into a place where it's, man, this is, this is what God's doing. Like, this is the mission of God, and He's using my life for His purposes in simplicity and in grace. Because as he said earlier, the struggle is, is that we believe the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. We believe the lie that if only I had this, if only I had that. We believe that lie. And can I just remind us that God doesn't want us to pile more stuff onto our lives. Just adding, 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 adding. And the gift of singleness and the call to singleness is a call to simplicity. It's a call to less complicated lives. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxiety. I want to call you to a life of simplicity. So maybe this morning we need to repent of areas of our lives where we're trying to add stuff on, believing if only I had this, if only I had this, if only I had this. The grass isn't greener on the other side. We're simply to be the executors of the will of God and not to be the owners or the ones who set the will. Look at verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Here's what I want you to see. Singleness isn't settling. There's a lot of lies out there that we believe. That if you're single in the room, that you believe that it's a settling life. That I'm choosing less. Uh, here's, here's a couple of lies that maybe you might believe. I'm alone. You ever believe that? Those that are single, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm alone. I don't have anybody. She's got somebody. He's got somebody. Something is wrong with me. Man, the enemy feeds on that stuff. Feeds on that insecurity. And I think as, as for those that are married, I think we can feed into those lies for people that aren't married. Hey, so you, you dating anybody? You with anybody? No. Huh. Talking to anybody? No. You're worthless. No, I mean, we don't say that, but like, and, we, and we're probably not even thinking that, but, but the narrative is you, you grow up into a relationship and you get married. And that's not always true. And it's not always best. And it's not always what God 
has. Something isn't wrong with you. Another lie might be God's, God's punishing me. Oh, what did I do wrong? No, in reality, what God's doing is He's probably giving you a gift. Not probably. He's giving you a gift of simplicity and single focus where you can set your mind to the course of the action of who God's called you to be and what God's called you to live out the gifts and passions He's put within you. Here's another lie. Happiness and fulfillment come from marriage. Gosh. Can we just be honest that like, if you've been married for any length of time, I guess it's just not true. And that's not to say that there's not happiness and fulfillment in marriage. But if you're putting all your hopes of happiness and fulfillment in the person that stood across the aisle from you, or you hope will stand across the aisle from you when you say, I do. Some of you felt the unbelievable weight of that going terribly wrong. It's not it. It doesn't come from marriage. And I believe those who are married in the room have an unbelievable gift and responsibility to encourage and to strengthen and to speak the truth of God into the lives of those who aren't married to not believe the narrative that, hey, you have to do this or you're choosing like a second best road. Um, but to walk them through, man, who's God calling you to be? What are your gifts and passions? And to be careful. I think we have to put ourselves in their shoes and we ask good questions and not just assume and maybe even ask them, hey, do, do you ever believe this lie that you're alone? Do you ever believe the lie that something's wrong with you? How are you doing with that? Does it bother you when I ask you every day if you're talking to somebody or if you're with, to get with somebody? You probably don't need to ask that. Just know the answer is yes. Okay. And I think that we have to make sure that we don't frame life and even Christianity in this marriage-only context. Now, the Bible has a ton to say about marriage and how it illustrates the, the, the bride of Christ and the church is a picture of marriage, which is all true, okay? And that as, like, all, all of us are a bride. So guys, you're a bride— Jesus is your husband, okay, who's come to sweep you off your feet. Okay, let's put the guys in that awkward moment for a minute, because a lot of times I think the girls are in the awkward moment, like when we read the scripture and it talks about him and her, and, or him, and it's like this male perspective, or that uses the male pronoun to set this precedent, like, you know, the girls are like, well, I'm not a, like, let's flip it there for a second, like, guys, you're the bride. Okay, single people. God's got you. He's your husband. He's the only one that you, that you need. I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter in verse 6. And I want to kind of land the plane with this. This is, uh, this is verses 6 through 8 as Paul is teaching through marriage. 
says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Here's what I want you to hear today, is that singleness is a good gift from God. It's a good gift from God. I want you to see that today because there's so many lies that press into you to, to get you to believe different. And whether you're single for all of your life or whether you're single for a portion of your life, don't believe the grass is greener on the other side. Don't try to hurry to get out of your current situation and entrust yourself to the Lord who will guide you and lead you. But realize this. It's not a life of settling. It's a good gift from God. It's a good gift from God. I want to I close with this, this illustration. Sorry, it's summer, so a lot of my illustrations have to do with swimming. Um, so my kids love to swim even in 117 degree weather. I mean, who doesn't, right? Um, and I, one of my favorite things to do is to watch them. It's just how much fun they're having. They're like spitting on each other, throwing stuff at each other, yelling at each other. And they're having so much fun doing it. And they love it. And they're playing Marco Polo. And they're doing different games. And they're playing basketball. And they're making up games that I've never even heard of. And it's a blast. But here's, here's the thing. The second that I put on my suit and I step out of the house and I start walking towards that pool, the level of excitement goes up like a thousandfold. I'm still trying to figure out why. But like they're like, Daddy's swimming! And I'm like, I'm just going to sit over here. I just put on my suit because it's comfortable. But like they're so ecstatic. And I get in the pool. There's only one place they want to be. You know where that's at? I probably have like eighth inch scars down my back just from yesterday. Because they're like, they're all me. They're like, Daddy, throw me, Daddy, throw me. And I'm like, you know, okay, that was a little too high. You hit the bottom. Like, you know, Dad, Dad, throw me the ball. I want to dive for it. You know, try to throw me, you know, hey, can you try to throw me into the trampoline? Like, no, we can't try to do that. Like, you know, I mean, they're like, it's, it's this game. They want to, like, ride on me. They want to surf on me. Like, everything revolves around Dad. And here's why I think that's true. Is that to them... I represent strength. I represent safety. Like, they know that, like, when I'm in there, like, everything's okay. They know when I'm in there, like, I could chuck them out of the pool if I wanted to. Like, because dad's strong. Fathers are strong. Mothers are strong. And it's fun. 
They want to be on my back. They want to be around me because they know Dad's got me. And I wonder if there's a part of our lives where we're trying to have some fun without Dad in the pool. Maybe it's, maybe it's going okay. You know, maybe you're finding some joy here and there. But the reality and the calling for, for all of us, especially singles today, but even married, is that when Dad's present, when our Heavenly Father is the one who's there, who's joining in in the, the mission and the calling, there's a strength and there's a joy and there's a presence that's unlike anything anything that you could experience apart from Him. And I just want to encourage us this morning that we wouldn't be people who try to find our fun. Because my kids are always like, Dad, will you swim? Dad, will you swim? Dad, will you swim? Every time they swim, they want me to be in the pool. Why? Still trying to figure that out. But I think I'm getting a handle on it. It's because it's a whole different game. And for us as God's people, what we want to do is we want to push God aside. Maybe sometimes be in the pool and wave at Him outside. But we don't want to invite Him in. God's like, I want to, I want to get in. I want you to jump on my back. I want us to journey together in faith for the life of singleness that I've called you to, for the life of pressing into my will and my calling. Let me be the owner. Let me be the strength. Let me define where joy is found. And it will be so much greater. Let's pray and prepare to respond to the Lord. God, you are a good God. And you're faithful. And I thank you that you love us so much. And I pray even now, especially for those in this room that are navigating a life of singleness, God, that you would speak to them, you would encourage them, that they would find their, their hope and their identity and their strength in you. They would find that you are sufficient And they would stop grasping and longing and yearning. For a life of more, for what's on the other side, for what their friends have. That their heart would be settled in a relationship with their Heavenly Father. Who exudes strength and presence. And the gift of joy. God, and for those of us that are married, I pray that we would really think through, how can we surround single people and encourage and love them and serve them? God, we need you. Would you water our weary souls this morning? Would you teach us your love? Would you teach us your ways? 
God, would we realize that it's best? In Christ's name, amen.